Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's back to the grindstone for all those hard-working MPs today. They're all heading into Westminster to kickstart the Brexit debate because, of course, they haven't been able to talk about Brexit uh, since last Thursday when they also didn't talk about Brexit either because they were too busy asking people why they kept saying bad words that were hurting everybody's feelings. They'd all be arriving, of course, just in time uh, for everybody else to be going home. 2.30 in the afternoon is when they're going to start working in the House of Commons. Talk about gentlemen's hours. I mean, I may be uh, inappropriately genderising them there, but, I mean, I really do think they should have started work a little bit early. They went to all the trouble last Thursday of actually not uh, managing to adjourn Parliament in order to let the Tory party conference go ahead. Tory party conference is going ahead nonetheless. Meanwhile, uh, there's a meeting being held, a cabal, if you like, uh, by the leader of the Labour Party, the leader of the Lib Dems, the leader of the Greens, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, uh, and I think even the leader of Plaid Cymru. And they're all going to sit around in the... uh, dark corridors of power talking about who should take over in Downing Street who should be made temporary Prime Minister well I'll tell you what, never mind who's temporary Prime Minister, Boris Johnson is the permanent Prime Minister for the moment, unless you want to have an election, don't start talking to me about governments of national unity that I'm afraid is for the birds, that is nothing to do with how we run this country meanwhile up in Manchester the Conservatives are busy having their annual conference as if nothing is actually wrong, that's right the one all the other parties refused to adjourn for last Thursday is going ahead. They are pressing ahead uh, with their plans to leave the European Union on October the 31st. And Boris Johnson is said to be in high spirits. And this, of course, is despite all of the clouds gathering around two separate allegations, one of them over 20 years old, where a journalist, uh, who happens to be the girlfriend of Robert Peston, apparently, uh, has said, basically, uh, that he uh, groped her at a spectator party 20 years ago. Well, forgive me, uh, but I think she might have spoken up about it before now, wouldn't you say? The Prime Minister is unveiling a raft of new policies, refusing to stop saying surrender, and he's continuing with the mantra of get Brexit done. Yesterday, Jacob Rees-Mogg described Britain as Gulliver tied down at Lilliput by a ragtag motley collection of feeble, fickle, 
footling politicians desperate to cancel the largest single democratic mandate in our history. I couldn't agree more. We'll be live in Manchester this morning talking to Ben Bradley, up first Conservative MP for Mansfield. But we want to hear from you, of course, 0344 499 1000. This is the place where the voice of the people is heard. Coming up later on, we'll be finding out if Tory policy on housing and planning law is going to create a free-for-all, why families of British jihadis are plotting to smuggle them back into the country, and why Public Health England is still persisting with recommending vaping as an alternative to smoking, despite people now actually dying from doing it. 0344 499 1000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, forgive me for pouring cold water on the idea of a government of national unity, but first of all, quite rightly, as Julia Hartley Brewer said this morning on The Breakfast Show, uh, the very last thing that it is is a government of national unity. It is a government which is being proposed as a sort of coup against Boris Johnson. If there is going to be a vote of no confidence tabled in the Prime Minister, if he then decides to resign, if he then decides to call an election, then let's have an election. Let's not have this kind of, you know, rather murky and slightly mysterious uh, organisation behind let's all gang up against Boris Johnson to see if we can get him out and put somebody into Downing Street who didn't actually get elected to be there. For heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls. First, though, let's go live to the Tory party conference in Manchester and talk to Ben Bradley, Conservative MP for Mansfield. Ben, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, you're right. I'm very well. Now, your uh, conference is being described by people who know these things as very buoyant, very calm, very kind of uh, assured. Is something going on? It's quite jolly, I have to say. Um, there's a pretty straightforward message that's printed massively on the side of the building that broadly we all agree with. Um, and I think most of the people out there in the country are sick to death of, of this whole Brexit conversation. Let's get Brexit done. That's something we can all unite behind. Yeah, let's get Brexit done is a sort of new slogan, isn't it? We heard it first coming out of the mouth of Dominic Cummings when he didn't know who Carl Turner MP was. And in fact, he probably preferred it when he didn't know who Carl Turner was. Because <laughs> once you find out who Carl Turner is, things get a lot worse. But uh, it is a very buoyant conference. It doesn't sound to me at the moment as if there's that much kind of dissent going on. I saw a couple of clips last night of David Gork uh, talking about how he was concerned about a no-deal Brexit, but the likes of David Gork, who is now an independent MP anyway, um, are, are less likely to be heard, aren't they? Well, as you say, David uh, now sits as an independent, but I mean, there's a number of those guys, the 21 um, who lost the whip, who are here actually and, and engaging with it in a positive way. I think it's great. Um, broadly, I think even David Gork probably wants to get Brexit done. The government's policy remains to get a deal and get it passed through Parliament, which is by far the simplest way to get the thing uh, over the line. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it certainly seems increasingly optimistic that that's going to happen. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had more of that um, positive kind of soundings. You know, Juncker's saying, oh, we're not committed uh, ideologically to the backstop. We're, we're um, you know, looking at the alternatives. And, you know, there's still a, a gap there, clearly, in terms of coming to some conclusion. But I'm, I'm quite optimistic that there's going to be something back in Parliament for us to vote on. It seems to me that politics in this country is entirely fractured. I think most people would probably agree with that. The bottom line for me is how do you fix it again? How do you get it back to where it was before all of this craziness happened? Because you've now got an opposition who are literally against everything that the government wants to do. You know, they will stop you and stymie you at every point, at every turn, at every corner that they can. Uh, they're going to try and get you to use different language, despite the language that they've been using. They wouldn't give you permission to adjourn uh, the, the, the parliament in order to have your conference. You know, every single yeah. suggested idea that Boris Johnson has is going to be voted down. And as long as there's more of them than there are of you, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, well, you're right. We need to, to get beyond this whole Brexit argument, which is very polarised, very divisive, increasingly frustrating. And you see that 
uh, frustration in the, the tone of the, the discussion that, uh, as we go along. And we then need to have an election because, frankly, Parliament is set in that um, kind of aggressive um, opposition for opposition's sake on everything. There are so many issues in our society. I've been doing panels this morning about youth work and, and about children's services. And the only way you can improve those services is with a cross-party consensus as to the way forward, if you're going to have a long-term plan. And that just isn't possible in the current climate. So not just because of, of the majority or Brexit. Actually, it's really important we have an election so we can move into an atmosphere where we can actually work together on these things again. And there's a feeling as well that Boris and Dominic Cummings and the Downing Street team kind of know what is going on at all times, that they are still quite confident of what it is that their aim is and, and, and of how they're going to get that aim uh, to be successful. Um, is that the sense that you get? Do you get the sense that there is a confidence there, that they don't feel like they can be stopped? Uh, there's a cunning plan, I'm sure. Is I there? Think, um, I think they're... Um, Who's they obviously, Baldrick? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, I think they obviously um, have... I talked to the Attorney General about this um, last week, who was saying, you know what, it's not absolutely clear what we will do because there are a million things that could happen uh, in the coming days and weeks that could change the, the situation. But we know what all of our options are and we're confident in the options. And uh, as things progress, we'll choose the options that work. And obviously, there's every reason not to put all of those uh, things out into the public domain because inevitably you say, right, we're going to do X, Y and Z then Remainers in Parliament will make moves to, to prevent those things. Um, but it does seem, you know, Boris is certainly confident that we will be leaving on the 31st. Yes, and he, he does seem to be uh, unnaturally confident. What do you make of all the uh, the sort of the allegations against him as well? Because the Jennifer R. Curry one still hasn't gone away. Um, he was interviewed about it on Sunday on the Andrew Marr show, uh, and he kept the line which he has kept throughout, saying there was no reason for him to register any any particular conflict of interest. He says that they were friends, but, you know, nothing, nothing more than that. The, the, the other one I'm less concerned about because it's 20 years old and is being made uh, an allegation being made by a journalist about something that happened at a spectator party in 1999. I mean, who knows? He's denied that already. They're going to throw everything at him, aren't they, at the end of the day? We are, like I say, in this polarised kind of aggressive political culture at the minute. And as we get closer and closer to this deadline, there's increasingly a realisation that actually this Brexit thing's going to happen and, God, we better throw the kitchen sink at it to stop it. And that becomes increasingly personal and you know Boris has been very vocal I think the more you put yourself out there and with a, a strong opinion the more you get um, back in return he's the the figurehead for hate for a lot of people isn't he um, he really is I mean uh, he, he's unnaturally hated I think by, by so many people but it's such a divisive thing isn't it and ultimately you come out and say right we're going to leave the EU and we're going to do it come what may because people are sick of this and we need to move on and if you don't agree with that you know that's a very divisive thing to say but frankly we need to grasp the nettle and, and get Brexit done to coin a phrase mm. um, before Just we can get back to a position yeah over and over it'll sink in um, but I, I still think there are people who haven't quite accepted it yet in Parliament and elsewhere um, but he is going to attract all of that for the next six weeks he's going to be that that um, you know figure of, of a lot of aggression and a lot of anger mm. um, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do and what do you think is going on within those anti-Boris brigade people's heads where they think that they can actually unseat him uh, they think they can get into Downing Street by some means, fair or foul. Um, mm. I've even heard talk of impeaching him. Have they just been watching, you know, <laughs> the news in America and thinking, well, if it's good enough for the Democrats against mm. Donald Trump, we'll follow suit? Well, they seem to be able to just change the constitution and the rules as they please, don't they? And, and do whatever they like in some scenarios. So perhaps maybe they will. But the, 
Um, you, I listened to you um, just before we started speaking and talking about you know the, the hypocrisy in my view. There's yeah. a big complaint that you know Boris wasn't elected by a general election, all the rest of it. Here he is saying I want one, and at the same time they're trying to impose a totally non-elected coalition of, of Remainers into Parliament to block um, the referendum result. It just strikes me as rank hypocrisy, to be honest. Well, and it if, really if, does, and also all of these people like Dominic Grieve, who I presume is still a Conservative, technically speaking. Um, is up at the conference, he's talking about stopping Brexit pretty much at any cost. Well, it's not his job to do that, surely. Absolutely, you know, and he was elected on a manifesto that said we were going to deliver the thing, same as 85% of Parliament, um, if not more. So there, there is no justification for that as far as I'm concerned. And like I say, this being a divisive and polarising issue means that there will be a lot of, um, uh, you know, language and a lot of aggression around the issue. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And you come to my constituency and knock on some doors in old mining villages where people are telling me, you know what, um, I will never, ever vote Labour again while that, mm. uh, that man is in charge. And I think we need to get Brexit done. And even if I don't actually like Boris, I'm still going to back Boris because ultimately he's doing what I've asked him to do. And what's being set up there this week about the Brexit party? Because they're obviously the kind of um, uh, the joker in the pack, if you like, depending upon what sort of Brexit you guys organise, they may be on your side or against you. Yeah, and I mean, that'll certainly make a difference. I don't imagine them making any firm decisions about that until we get to an election and we know exactly what the landscape looks like. Um, we could be in a position where we've delivered Brexit and things have moved on. We could be in a position where we can't get a deal and we're saying, well, we're going to leave that one. And then it kind of negates the Brexit party from that perspective. Um, but there's not been a great deal of discussion about it, to be honest. I think we're confident in our objective and what we want to achieve. Um, there's certainly a political discussion to be had about, you know, um, you're wanting to maximise the Leave vote and make sure that we're not divided in the way that perhaps you could argue the Remain side is in terms of who you want to vote for. Um, but, you know, if I'm a Brexit voter right now, in my constituency again, I don't want Jeremy Corbyn in, I want Brexit delivered, then I'm going to have to vote Conservative. Yes, and I think um, the Conservative vote is obviously very, very well held up in certain parts of the country, but it's not going to be well held up in Scotland, we are told. It's certainly not going to be well held up uh, in other parts of the country where perhaps there's more of a Remain vote going on. Is that a concern? Yes. Um, you know, if you, you come to leave voting seats in the Midlands and the North and come and knock on some doors, it seems very positive at the minute. There are other places, um, obviously less so. Uh, the, the answer, frankly, is to, to get Brexit done and get out the other side of it and talk about schools and education and the NHS and the things that we all broadly agree on. It becomes a less divisive argument. The challenge at the minute, you look at even the very best polling, um, some that says, right, 150 seat Conservative majority, we're still losing seats in the South West and in Scotland, which is um, you know, really, really challenging. So until we get beyond this binary um, divisive argument, um, that is going to be a challenge. And you've got Sajid Javid's big speech today, um, and you've got quite a few policies out there now, haven't you? You've got the, the new hospitals that were announced yesterday by Boris Johnson, you've got the new housing and planning uh, uh, application changes which are going to come out today. Um, <laughs> is it, are you confident that any of that is resonating with the public? Um, until, I, until I get back out there and, um, and start talking to people about it and see what's sunk in, it's really difficult to say. Mm. I think broadly, um, the overarching themes in terms of um, you know, education and policing in particular in the NHS, um, these big announcements. I mean, I don't get complaints from constituents about the NHS anymore. You go back five years or so, um, everything was, oh, Tories don't care about the NHS. I, it seems to me like that's kind of been negated to some extent by the really positive announcements around funding and hospitals and all the rest of it, because I just don't get that feedback anymore. 
um, I do still get it about schools and about policing, and that's why I'm really pleased that they've been, you know, top priorities since since Boris took over. And as for last week's kind of madness, because that's what I'm going to call it, the two days of parliamentary um, business, which were hijacked really by sort of talk of language and how certain words shouldn't be used and how mm. certain other words should be used. Do you think that was a one-off? Has that gone away now? Was it a sort of one-hit wonder? It was certainly incredibly frustrating. Um, I, you know, and many colleagues had to, you know, cancel really positive community stuff, school visits, and I had a veterans um, club meeting that I had to cancel to go and sit down there and listen to that nonsense. Um, and obviously, with it being last minute, there's nothing else going on in Parliament, just mm. the chamber. So you're either sat there listening to it directly, or you're sat in your office watching it on the telly, and there's no nothing else to do. There's no escape. We achieved nothing in yeah. those two days at all. Um, so really, really frustrating. And I think that frustration fed into the tone of the debate. There are a lot of people who, frankly, didn't think we should be there um, beyond, you know, before we even started. So um, uh, hopefully that's, you know, the, the peak of the hill and we can head back down into to normal territory. Um, but I do think those frustrations will continue to exist until we get beyond the 33rd. Yeah, I can't imagine what it is that you're going to talk about when you get back from conference, but that's another story. Ben, thank you very much indeed. Ben Bradley, Conservative MP for Mansfield there, talking live from Tory Party Conference up in Manchester. We're there, of course, with Julie Hartley Brewer throughout the week. Uh, she'll be bringing you breakfast from there uh, every single morning uh, with a whole host of guests, a whole host of politicians, cabinet ministers as well. Uh, we've got lots more to do, including talking to lots of you, because you are the people that make this show happen. You are the people that make this show work, and we want to hear your opinions on everything that's going on. 0344 499 1000. I think there's a bit of a, a spring in everybody's step up there in Manchester, and I think there's a bit of um, sort of good fortune in the air, perhaps, dare I say it. A bit of optimism, perhaps, for Brexit. A bit of, uh, you know, good, uh, good fortune being talked about for the first time since they came back from the unprorogued parliament. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there's been an awful lot, as I said just before the news there, of rumours flying around that uh, Rahima Begum uh, was on her way back to this country or was secretly being smuggled into this country. I don't know where these rumours start, but let's say a very good morning to Dr. Rakiba San. Rakib, very good morning to you. Morning, Welcome Mark. back Thanks to the studio. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I don't know why this has happened over the last few days, but I was getting a lot of people on Twitter asking me, is it true that Rahima Begum's been somehow smuggled back into the country? And I can only assume that the rumour starts somewhere, gets a bit of credence on social media, and everybody starts asking people like me, is it true? What I do know is it's not true. Uh, and in fact, Priti Patel this Absolutely. morning has already said there's no chance of her coming back. I think, to be honest, I feel that the Home Secretary, Priti Patel... I think she's absolutely spot on on this issue. I think yeah. the reality of the matter is, ultimately, her responsibility is to maintain the UK's domestic security. We're talking about someone who ultimately joined a jihadist barbaric cult. Yeah. And ultimately, as I said, Preeti Patel, she has to prioritise the security of British people. Yeah, well, absolutely right. And also, she has to keep an eye as well on the ones who have already come back. Absolutely. Uh, some of whom were fighters and some of whom were married to those fighters. So how do they do both of those things? Absolutely. So at the moment, there are hundreds of people who have actually returned and they are walking the streets of Britain. Mm. So she very much has to focus on that, never mind actually taking a soft approach when it comes to the likes of Shamima Begum. Yeah, right. But presumably now the law has to change because Boris Johnson has said, because the Americans have also said to, to our government, it would be good if you took responsibility for these people rather than leaving them where they are, where they might even do more damage. I mean, what's your view? Do you think they should be kept out of the country? I think ultimately there's, there's space for international cooperation in terms of how do we deal with such individuals, perhaps yeah. that we could, we could hold uh, trials outside of the UK. Right. 
Um, Almost like a war crimes tribunal Absolutely, because the reality of the matter is there is no public appetite for the likes of Shamima Begum to return to our shores. Mm. And Preeti Patel, her decision on the matter is very much in keeping with the general public mood on this issue. And it's high time that our politicians actually start listening to British people and because there are cases where they haven't previously done that on a number of important issues. Because, of course, the difficulty, I suppose, for, for the law-abiding Muslim community, which is the vast majority, of course, Absolutely. of the Muslim community in this country, you know, Shamima Begum doesn't do them any favours. Absolutely not. Right? It's, it's, it's disastrous for the general reputation of the broader British Muslim population. And this idea that, oh, but she was 15 when she left, I think that's very disrespectful towards young British Muslim girls. These are the same well, people that say we've got this aggressive Thunderbird. Absolutely. Absolutely, and yeah. the reality is the vast majority of British Muslim girls who are currently attending school, they just want to further their academic ambitions, they want to do the best they can for their families and their community. So this idea that we should feel sorry for Shamima Begum purely on the basis of her age, mm. because she left when she was 15, is absolute nonsense. I'd also bear in, we should also bear in mind that the age of criminal responsibility in England and Wales is actually 10. Yes. So she's five years above that. Well, exactly right. So how would you get to, uh, say, from point A to point B, how would you get to the, the place where you could maybe have some kind of international court which people would sign up to? Would it be done through the UN? How would it work? I think that there's definitely space for it and perhaps it would be through international organisations. I think that is something that countries of the West, the unfortunate reality of the matter is this isn't exclusively a British problem. No. There are a number of Western countries. Well, her husband's Dutch, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, case in point. So there has to be more international cooperation in terms of how we handle this problem. But what I would say is that there's a shared appetite among those countries that those people do not return mm. to those societies. No, right. Which brings us on to an interesting piece you wrote uh, earlier this week for Spikes Online about this new definition of Islamophobia. Oh, yes. Because, of course, that resonates an awful lot with this kind of story, doesn't it? Because where you have people reading about people like Shemima Begum and people going to fight for foreign countries uh, in parts of the world where terrorism exists. Absolutely. Um, there's an anti-Muslim discrimination law being brought in, effectively, but you're not happy with it. I'm not happy with the working definition by the all-party par parliamentary group on British Muslims right. because I feel that the, that definition of Islamophobia, it dangerously conflates what we would consider hard forms of anti-Muslim prejudice. Mm. It's dangerously conflating that with perfectly legitimate criticisms of religious ideology. Right. It's important not to mix the two together. Is it interesting that you've got an, a, a law sort of defining something like Islamophobia in the same way that you've got one that defines anti-Semitism? Because we saw the Labour Party, um, you know, for the last couple of years, struggling with the actual definition even of anti-Semitism. Yes. They, they can't even agree on what that is. I think with the, with this particular definition, what we'll say that the, the huge problem is, and this is, and I've you know I've analysed the definition of I've read the report produced by the APPG and British Muslims, yeah. is that it treats British Muslims as some sort of homogenous monolithic block. Yeah. The reality of the matter is, when we're talking about the oppression and victimisation of British Muslims, much of that is actually experienced within their own communities, mm. and that's something that is missing from the report. And I would say that's a glaring omission, and that's something that we don't talk about. What well, you mean? At they're all. discriminating against each other? Absolutely. So, so, it's an example of that. So, for example, we could talk about um, Ahmadiyya Muslims. They're a minority sect, and there are organisations such as the Muslim Council of Britain, who have actually said that Muslims are not obliged to acknowledge. Ahmadis as Muslims. Right. And we also had a case where there was a mosque in London, in our own capital, which is actually distributing leaflets saying that if Ahmadis do not 
um, if they do not support orthodox interpretations of Islam, they should, within three days, face the capital punishment. Mm. Now, this is something going on within our British Muslim communities. And I don't think anybody listening to this show would have probably heard of that ever before. Absolutely not. And well, where interestingly, you... the mainstream media aren't too keen to report. Well, on I don't know. Issues. I think maybe they. Think, I think the problem is with the, with a lot of media uh, stories about Muslims is that you know a lot of media are terrified of being accused of being anti-Muslim mm. or of somehow you know fanning the flames of hatred and all this kind of nonsense. But what, right? we're talking about. But we we're, need to we're, talk about we're it. talking about a mosque yeah. which is distributing material, which is saying that if Ahmadis do not convert to their understanding mm. of Islam. Within three days, they, they should, should face killed. the capital punishment. Yeah. They, they should, should be killed. killed. They should be executed. And this is on British soil. Yeah. Well, and why these... are they not being arrested? You see, my view of all of all a lot of this is that there are already laws that cover that. You don't necessarily need an Islamophobia law to stop somebody from threatening another person on British soil. This is well. This is just quite frankly, this is absolutely horrendous case. Yeah. This, that, that's the fact of the matter. But if we're looking back at the definition itself, mm. in my view. We had a we had this what I call an unholy alliance of clueless metropolitan politicians, yeah. these crank left wing academics who actually act like political activists. Yes. They're not serious. You've got scholars. a name for them, haven't you? Yeah, um, academivists. Academivists yeah. too. It's quite and hard then, to say, but I quite yeah, like the word. And then and with that, they actually communicated. They actually, I would say, I would go as far as saying collaborated with Islamist-backed organisations in this country, which poses these, you know, goodwilled uh, civil society organisations. And they produced a definition which, in my view, is uh, a blasphemy law through the back door. Mm. And we should be very worried about it. And when are we actually looking at this coming into force in this country, this Islamophobia sort of law? Well, interestingly, we had... Well, thankfully, we uh, the Conservative government rejected the definition. But we but the, the reality of the matter is... And, other political parties have. Mm. So, interestingly, we do have a number of political parties who actually support the definition, right. which I think is quite worrying in itself. Well, yeah, I mean, because also when you look at um, the Muslim world and you look at the Middle East, for example, an awful lot of the difficulties and the, and the conflicts are caused mm. because of the wars between the Sunnis and the Shias, right? Absolutely. And that's something which I presume doesn't um, bleed over into Europe, well, or I think, does it? I, I think what I would say is that those sectarian tensions, they do exist. And I think I gave you that case in point. That mm. was, you know, in terms of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the UK. I think what's really interesting, though, is that we have politicians such as Baroness Saeed Awasi, Naz Shah of the Labour Party, Bradford MP. Mm. They try to portray British Muslims as a homogenous mm. monolithic bloc. They think the same way on these sorts of issues. The reality, that is not the case at all. We're talking about an exceptionally diverse yeah. population, which is diverse in terms of their political ideology, their social values. But we have these regressive politicians of different um, party colours who, for their own political agenda, seek to portray the wider British Muslim population as this sort of uniform community. Mm. And they presumably want to point out to the Muslim community that they represent them in some way, Absolutely. shape or form. These are, but these are the, 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 the two individuals here that we're discussing. These are self-appointed spokeswomen. Right. That's what I call them. And the, But they need to be called out. Yeah. And what, so what is the passage of this particular law at the moment then? Where, where are we with this Islam, the Islamophobia definition? I think that in terms of when we're looking at this particular definition, as I said, that we, we have local councils which have adopted the definition, we have political parties which have adopted the definition. But, we do, but it is important to note that the Conservative government did reject the definition yeah. 
What do you think Cotton. the definition should actually be? I think that we need to focus on proven, evidenced cases of anti-Muslim discrimination in markets. Mm-hmm. Particularly, we're talking about the labour market, yeah. um, access to social housing, but also in the in the in the rented sector. Right. I think those sort of issues. You know, looking at you know, are there religious penalties that we need to address yes. in our markets? And I don't think anyone would really be in serious opposition to that. I don't think they would. But then again, do we not already have laws that cover that in terms I, of I, I think that there, there's actually a strong case that exists, there is existing legislation which can cover for that. Yeah. Now, but if people want to be, if people seriously want to focus on anti-Muslim discrimination, what they should do is just focus on that. What they shouldn't do is then delve into different matters and then try to almost uh, clamp down on perfectly legitimate criticism of uh, Islamic ideology, but also the social implications for, you know, the social implications of orthodox religious doctrine Mm. and what sort of impact that has in terms of, you know, things such as social integration in the UK and community cohesion. That's one of the things that we saw in Birmingham, that school, wasn't it, where you would have... You know the Muslim community there, mm. albeit maybe a small part of the Muslim community. Well, I mean, community I, I mean, there, I, I, old Jez, you know, Jez is quite big on LGBT rights and all the rest. Well, of it. he was very he's quiet. A bit, he's a bit quiet there. Well, funny enough, we when we covered that story, I said, you know, for the left, this is a real problem because mm. they don't know whether to support the LGBT lessons that are going going on inside the school or support the Muslims. Well, the who thing are is, the thing is, Mike, when you go too much into identity politics. Um, you know, you start finding yourself in contradictory but this is positions. Where it, this is where it starts to get tricky because, you know, there is, there is for me, no real good reason why you need to have a law against mm. Islamophobia, in a way, because, you know, you can argue that you might Mike, need Mike, I have one... a problem with the term Islamophobia. Yeah. That's the reality. If you want to call it anything, the one... The, the, I, would, I would use the phrase anti-Muslim prejudice. Yes. Because Islamophobia almost gives the insinuation that, no, we, 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 that we live in a society where we shouldn't be allowed or right. entitled to criticise religious ideology. Right. We live in a free and open society being able to express views... On the yeah, I mean, if I want to say, for example, able to do that. I want to say that that, that that some Muslim attitudes towards homosexuality uh, I find to be pretty disgusting, and I don't think it should be allowed in a, in a modern Western world. You know, I don't think I should be accused of Islamophobia. Absolutely not. You know, Absolutely but there would be those who would accuse me of, course of that. Of course there is. There'll be people who would be... They, they would want to use that very mm. working definition yeah. to clamp down on that opinion. And yeah. I think that's deeply unhealthy for our democracy. Yeah. And also what it does do, and I think a lot of people would bear this out on uh, uh, on social media, certainly, and probably some were already doing so, I haven't checked, um, it p- puts a lot of people's backs up um, when you make out that one particular group is suffering discrimination when some other groups are also suffering discrimination but there's nobody championing their cause i think the in- well the interesting thing there we can take it one step further there's minority groups within the broader british muslim population mm. who are exp- who are experiencing you know serious forms of oppression and victimization yeah. but because there's too many metropolitan politicians who have fallen into this trap of treating british muslims as some sort of victimized monolithic block mm. they're missing those internal tensions and those internal cases of oppression they have no understanding of it and they're ignoring it to their peril absolutely dr rakib hassan thank you very much indeed uh, the henry jackson society you can find that piece on spiked online right i'll, I'll retweet it out yeah. uh, just before you leave You're very kind uh, not at all if you want to have something to say about this you know what to do 0344-499-1000 i think what rakib says about shemima begum and others uh, who are caught up in the whole isis scenario facing some kind of international criminal court i think is a good idea I'd like to know what you think about that 0344-499-1000 this is talk radio it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Oh, going to be a very interesting week the Tories were in Manchester Con is in for five whole days apparently so he says anyway we shall see 0344 499 1000 is the number we're going to talk to Jim Dale now not the bloke that used to be in the carry on films but senior meteorologist at British Weather Jim very good morning to you Good morning to you. Now, I don't know why my producers never heard of Jim Dale from the carry on films but uh, I have and he was a very funny bloke yeah, he, he was. Uh, mine is Jim N R Dale. That's how I'm known because of the because of the Jim Dale. Ah, uh, yeah. There was a bit of a crossover. Yes, uh, of it's course. A bit of a long story, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, yeah. But you I'm see, a, these I, these things are important. It's the details that people care about. I know. I recognise that. It is a long story, and I used to I did used to get confused when I was in my navy days as a meteorologist with the same guy when he was when he was. Well, I suppose that's his eyes in the Carry On films, and uh, you know he, he, he was. It was a, it was an era of you know that, that I think people remember particularly if you're over, I guess about thirty, thirty, forty. Yeah. Well, I guess. my producer's yeah. very young. You see, he's never heard of anything. He's never seen any films either. He actually watched okay. Jurassic Park for the first time last night and didn't like okay. it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Every, these are the char- these are the caliber of people I have to work with, Jim. This is the trouble. I, I, Okay, well, you're talking to a meteorological 
professional, if I may say that. Good. So you can fire any uh, weather-related, climate-related <laughs> questions at me. Well, I'll tell you what I am going to fire at you. Um, I, I live down in Sussex, right? And at the weekend, I couldn't believe the sights I was seeing because the sea was so angry and raging that it was kind of washing up against all of the beach huts and almost yeah, sweeping yeah. them. I mean, it's very, very rough seas. And that was before the hurricane, which is coming on Thursday, Hurricane Lorenzo. So it's going to be a pretty, pretty um, harsh week, isn't well, it? Yeah, well, just going back a step or two, I think I think the the thing to think about uh, of the weather of late, in other words, we're, we're, it's a little bit of a payback. Let's face it, we had a a decent summer, um, and I'm a big believer in the balancing effect of Mother Nature. Mm. Uh, you know, if we have we have a run of settled weather, a dry weather, of, of warm weather, or even hot weather, then we tend to see, and especially at this time of year, we tend to see the other side of it. It's not unusual for us to be involved with what you might call stormy weather at this time of year. That, that's absolutely the case. It's, it's a norm. Uh, obviously, when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it. But from time to time, we do go through these uh, pulses of weather that, that sort of make the eyebrows uh, raise. Yes. Like, raise the well, eyebrows. It, was only, I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago uh, that it was really hot. And, and I was talking <laughs> about how, you know, goodness me, I mean, you forget, don't you? Because every yeah, year yeah. you can have a, quite a warm September and then you forget that it was warm last year and you think, my God, yeah, this is unusual. I, I, yeah, absolutely. And if you take a trip across the Atlantic to uh, America, um, even more so you see those sort of, um, uh, diversions of weather the, 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 the way that, that, uh, uh, that it's been occurring of late for example or like, like in Montana very deep snow uh, this is in the northern, northern United States uh, you know and, and all of these things can occur at this time of year autumn is what it is it's a, it's a changeable month where you can get any type of weather as we will see this week because you mentioned Lorenzo yeah. Lorenzo is a hurricane it's down in the Azores it will not be a hurricane by the time it touches upon ourselves probably thursday friday time now at the moment the models are suggesting it's going to go north uh that's between iceland and and scotland okay. and in which case we'll get the cold from we'll get a little bit of tropical air in there or subtropical air probably get a bit of a deluge at some point at that time but i i don't at this stage see it as being too much to be concerned about before we get there by the way does turn colder this week yes get through, tonight, get through later today's weather coming in uh, republic of ireland are getting a little bit of a pacing with rain at the moment that's heading towards northern areas a little bit of the south as well so it'll be a wet evening for most if you're on the, if you're on the road tonight it'll, uh, this evening it will be a uh, a wet time uh, get through that one uh, and the flood potential associated with it in certain areas still going yes yeah, so i was going uh, to say there's been a bit of flooding hasn't there overnight and certainly i mean down in uh, southeast england yesterday there was an awful downpour uh, of, yeah. of rain i got caught in it so i was out walking yeah. the dog and my jacket was wet until this morning <laughs> fair enough um this is strange one this one because it, the floods have kind of been dotted around if you like they yeah. have really concentrated themselves in one area so everything from from northeast Scotland all the way down to Cornwall, you know, and across to Sussex and Surrey and the Midlands and the Northwest and Yorkshire, you know, here and there, that's that's been the sort of pinboard, if you like, the darts board as far as the floods are concerned. So we got another little episode um, tonight where people have to be careful, particularly if they're driving on the road, etc., on those motorways. Best not to go seventy miles an hour when it's teaming down and all the rest of it. Yeah, uh, or worse. Some of them are doing 90 in that kind of weather. It's yeah, unbelievable, they, isn't it? They do. They, they, they do. And they're, I'd say quite openly, they're idiotic in terms of that, that type of driving in that type of weather. So you're going to get that this evening. Then we're going to start to drift away, not tomorrow so much, but certainly Wednesday, Thursday time before we see the bit of Lorenzo. 
cold, much colder. First, first frost to the season in terms of the general play of things. Now, they'll occur in Scotland for sure. The Glens definitely uh, down to zero and a little bit less than that. Um, it's going to feel colder, but actually, you know what? It's going to feel... It's going to feel a lot better in terms of the sunshine you're going to see, the crisp blue skies, all of that sort of stuff. That'll be Wednesday for you. So, you know, we are in these changeable times. um, The weather's showing all of its faces at once, it seems, this week and last week, uh, and it'll probably carry on. Yeah, great. And as far as the hurricane systems are concerned, I mean, normally we see them, you know, obviously hitting the sort of southeast coast of America, Florida, and into the Caribbean and that. Is this one coming from a different place or is it just on a different projection or what? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, um, all hurricanes uh, are all born off the west coast of Africa. Right. That's where they start their life. And generally speaking, they get caught in the trade winds and the trade winds take them uh, not west to east, but east to west. Mm. That's why they end up in, you know, the the, the, the Floridas of this world and up that, that uh, sort of towards New York as they bend around. This one particularly isn't doing that. It's going north quite quickly, so it's, it's caught up with the Azores and it will get sucked into what we call the jet stream, the jet stream running west to east, uh, high level. So essentially what's happening there is it's getting sucked into the normal sort of uh, Atlantic systems coming coming across, I say coming across, going up and then across, and it looks as if it's at the centre of that, not as a hurricane, but as a, an ex-tropical storm by then. Uh, it, it'll pass probably, probably, although the models are a little bit arguing amongst themselves at the moment, this is the computer models, um, between Scotland and, uh, uh, and Iceland. So we'll, we'll watch, the, you know, we'll, we'll see on that one, see how it, how it progresses. But this is the time of year you know, late September, October, when you do get these these ex hurricane uh, events occurring and and sharp sharp changes in the weather, we've always got to be on a little bit on our toes. Now and springtime, very similar. Um, you know, you can produce this, this, you know, in America tornado season and all the rest of it going with it. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, it's, it's it's a kind of normal thing, but I don't think necessarily some of the some of the adversities that we've seen, uh, whether we're talking very high temperatures or storms or whatever, are not necessarily that normal. Um, we see some tremendous weather this year, so it's been a year of maybe looking over our shoulder at climate change and everything else that's going with it. Yeah, it could well be. What about snow this year? Because sometimes we hear that so-called climate change is going to change the way that uh, we have winters in this country. You know, we have maybe damper summers, perhaps, and milder winters. Is that still the trend? Yeah, um, got to make sure we don't confuse climate with weather. Weather, weather can do anything at any time. Yeah. Uh, the trend, the, the trend, or at least the the, the documented um, trend as far as what what the expectation of climate change means. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going colder. That that will be that will be arranged with what weather we get. You know, in other words, whether we get a 2010-11 type event where it was very cold for a few weeks or not, uh, you know, we get the mild stuff. But what we probably will end up with is uh, sharp, and I mean sharp, sharp um, pushes of cold weather coming out of the east, particularly the beast from the east and all of that, yes. coming out, uh, you know, in a short-term sort of scenario and giving us what, giving us, giving us that sort of pasting and then going away again. Does that make sense? That's my general expectation. Not sure we're looking for a 62-63 winter at this moment in time. Um, I'll keep you posted. And by the way, as far as that's concerned, and Christmas, can we mention Christmas? Please. Yeah, it's the first first official mention of Christmas on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This message timed 11.56, Monday, September the 30th. 
There you go. And it's everything to do with the white Christmas, because I'm it? one of the blokes. Yeah, I'm one of the blokes who actually count the snowflakes on Christmas Day for the bookies. Wow. Or not. Brilliant. Or not. Or not. I can, you know, if it's a mild day, I can, I can put my feet up and there's no problem. But I actually do officiate in terms of... Um, because the bookies can't do that on their own, of course. Uh, you know, they put the bet out, so they could have a... Well, it might be that people wouldn't person. trust them. They need a, they need a proper and, and fit and proper yeah. person like you, Jim, to do it. Yeah, so so I'm there. I end up in Glasgow, in, in uh, Edinburgh, in London. No, I don't. I just look at the... Uh, I look at what's going on in charts, uh, look at the radar, and look at the observations that occur, and I'll make my judgment accordingly. But, okay. Uh, what's your prediction? What's your yeah, prediction? Well, stay tuned. I was going to say, perhaps have me on, you know, 10 days before the event and I'll basically give you, give your, give your listeners. Yes. Uh, well, I'm delighted, little... Jim. I'm afraid that will involve yeah. you having to talk to our producer, Con, who's never heard of Jim Dale. But don't worry, nah, uh, because don't worry now he has. Yes, he has. Mm. Jim okay. N.R. Dale. And... Jim N.R. Dale. There you are. Not to be That's confused what? with the one from the Carry On films. And in fact, Barnum, which he was also in. 0344 499 1000. We might have a white Christmas. You heard it here first. This is Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. You heard my eyes open. That's no This is the Independent Republic of Mike Gray and Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock. We've got loads of you to talk to between now and then, 0344 499 1000. And just a note of uh, caution, we are very busy these days. If you can't get on, do keep trying because we're here every day, 10 till 1. There's a podcast as well every afternoon uh, when it comes out, of course, on iTunes, on Acast, uh, and you can get that every single day as well. Lots of clips on Twitter, lots of clips on YouTube as well. Look out for them there. Uh, let's go now first to Darren, uh, who's in Walsall, wants to talk about climate change. Hi, Darren. Hello, Mike. Hi, mate. Oh, yeah, good, mate. What are you doing? Uh, first time caller. Welcome. I've only got onto on your show the last couple of weeks ago, and I've been listening to it on catch-up, and the missus thinks I'm going mad because I'm sitting there with my headphones, <laughs> you know, and I'm just in bits. The geezer from Rotherham jumping around from garden. Oh, mate. I know. Brilliant, wasn't he? The guy, I mean, I presume he's been driving off from a few petrol stations over the weekend, you know. But anyway, what I wanted to say was, see Greta of Thunderbird. She stands at the UN shouting at us adults, yeah. you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Why doesn't she start? And, and, and with me, my own personal, I might have a modicum of respect for her if she did, if she went, look, kids, get off your Xboxes all night long, yeah. walk to school instead of doing a 300-yard drive with your mum in a Chelsea tractor, yeah. don't upgrade your smartphone every two years, don't change your trainers because they've gone out of fashion, wear them till they yeah. wear out. You know, and then you might have a little bit of Stop eating fast food. Do you know what I read about her at the weekend, Darren, right? She doesn't know how she's going to get back to Sweden, right? She's going to get to... She's got to get... She's going over overland to Santiago in Chile. She then yeah. has to try and work out, because apparently the boat, the £4 million boat without a toilet has gone back yeah. to Sweden, right, without her. The people who came over in it have flown back on a plane. Back. You yeah. couldn't make yeah. it up. And, 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 and another one. Prince Harry. Oh, my I'm, God. I, I, I'm an ex-service for myself. Yeah. A lot of respect for the lad until he's gone little Mr. Welk. I know. You know he's gone to Africa and she's took her hairdresser with her. I know. Why has she got to fly her hairdresser with her mom? You well, know what I mean? this is why? it. I mean, she's standing yeah. with these people as their sister, <laughs> as their mother, uh, you know, yeah. as a woman of colour, and then she's yeah. got her hairdresser in the tent behind her. It's ridiculous. Mate, I, I, I honestly think with that lad, 
he ain't enjoying this. He's doing it because she's telling him to. Well, he you know, there was a great tweet that was put out. There was a picture of her. They were in the mosque, right? She's got the, the yeah. veil on. He's sitting next to her and looking at the camera, and Piers Morgan tweeted out, do you think he wishes he was back in Vegas playing naked yeah. billiards? Mate, <laughs> he, he wants to be out on the glorious 12th shooting birds he does. I know. He's put a stop there. He, he wants to meet Donald Trump and have a few beers with him, because who wouldn't? It'll all be, like it'll all be, it'll all be over yeah. soon, I tell you what. And then all his mates will say, look, I told you. I told, I told you. you. And he'll be back on the last one in Vegas. I know. I've been missing this. I've been missing this, I have. I know. Absolutely. Brilliant, Darren. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Gray. Another convert from the dark side. Uh, let's talk to Peter in Folkestone. Hi, Peter. Uh, hi, Mike. How are you? Um, not as upbeat as your last guy, I'm afraid. Why not? I just wanted to say that, Well, I just wanted to say that I'm so disappointed, angry and let down and ang just angry yes. that these MPs who brought up the name of Joe Cox, they're trying to own the pain that, you know, her family suffered. Mm. They're trying to infer that they're in pain as a result. They were colleagues. Yes. You know? I mean, it's um, disgraceful, actually. I mean, even Brendan Cox, her widow, um, uh, said the same thing. Her widower, rather, said the same thing. I don't want to see my ex-wife, my former wife's name used like this. And you can understand why, mm. because he he has pain. God God love the poor yeah. fella, you know. And he's bringing up her children, you know. Bless their wee hearts. And yet these these absolutely, there is there no limit to which these schmucks will will stoop mm. to try and to shut down other people's conversations by using, you know, holy grail type of words that are meant to make everyone stop and start, re you know, revisiting everything they say. It's, it's beyond... It's like people today trying to own the pain of slavery yeah. from 300 years ago. It's, it's ridiculous in, in both... In and it's it, actually it, insulting history. to the memory yeah. of the people who really have suffered, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and it's, how can they think that in any way, shape or form, it's going to advance and bring the country together? Are you kidding me? I know. Well, Jeremy Corbyn, I think, must spend most of his life with his fingers crossed behind his back, because whenever he says anything, you just know that he doesn't mean it. Well, there's a dark side of me, Mike, that says that actually there's a reason why this, you know, outrage is on extra high volume at the moment, which is that last week... The policy announcements of, you know, quite possibly one of the strongest socialist agendas that's ever been put forward in, in this country is not being talked about. Yeah. We're not talking about property theft. We're not talking about the closure of private schools, which mm. are perfectly legitimate businesses. But we're all talking about language. Is, am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right, Peter. Completely and utterly correct. Thank you for your call. Let's talk to Mike, who's in York. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Morning or afternoon now, mate. It is just about afternoon. Yeah, we're still in the uh, full-blown uh, part of the middle part of the day. Ah, uh, well. I mean, if that guy wants to be depressed, just have to read the mail on Sunday. Oh, that's <laughs> killer. <laughs> that's a bit harsh. I think the new editor's doing a fine job. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the new Milliband, the... Um, oh, yeah, the million, pound, the million pound a year of charity boss. You could make it up, could you? No. I you mean, it's a great it thing. I mean, it's very selfless of him, it has to be said, that he's willing to give up so much of his time for so little reward just to help people. Yeah, but it's your money. Don't forget you're working hard. Yes. He's all right. Yeah. Um, no, what I've got to say about uh, Brexit is you, you, 
if they think it's bad now, it even gets worse when once something's signed, you know? Which, when, uh, what? Well, when, when we go get to the next stage where we sign a deal right. or whatever, then we sign a deal without uh, and not come out uh, under World Trade Organization rules. The first thing is, is that we've got to surrender or they have command of our fishing rights. Uh-huh. So Scottish National Park has got a bit of a problem. Open door migration. So housing's going to be a bit of a problem. And family benefits. Have you, sorry, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realise you had a, a, a view of the new document. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got a new... What the hell happened in the end? Because all these MPs have suddenly... They're born idle. So they've never... I bet they've not read it. Come on, they're going to be at work at 2.30 this afternoon. How can you call them bone idle? 2.30 oh, they're getting in. Dentist appointment, 2.30. Uh, very good. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Listen, Mike, I'll come back to you when we've seen the proper document and then you can tell me how disappointed you are with it. I'm not sure that you will be disappointed. However, let's talk to Daniel, who's in Epsom. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Mike. Uh, I just want to say, Boris might have touched the lady's leg 20 years ago. Maybe. Oh, shock horror. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine them looking into my past. Christ. I mean, is this how low we've sunk now that people are trying to dismissing with things like this in the press. Well, I think this I is what we're going to see, but I don't think any of it's going to work, you see, unless they've actually got him doing something illegal. Um, and they've even tried that. They've tried to say that he broke the law when he prorogued Parliament, which, of course, he didn't. But, you know, this is going to go on for a while, I think. Well, I really want him to break that... Uh, I really want him to break that law and not ask for an extension. And I think best-case scenario for me, and for most people, actually, is... I'd like to see us leave the European Union with just a free trade deal. I don't think... I think you'll try and resurrect May's uh, failed treaty, and I think it'll be a mistake. I think we'll be wrangling with them for decades after, and it leaves us too closely aligned, because the reason the EU want us closely aligned is five years or ten years down the line, a future left-wing government could easily get us back in. And yeah. I think we need... We need to have a clean break, Mike. No, I agree with you. And I think the point is, is that we need to, you know, the language is very important. You know, the surrender document is indeed a surrender document. A no deal, however, is not a no deal because everything happens as part of a deal. So whatever happens, if we were to leave without a proper withdrawal agreement, that does not mean that we're leaving without a deal. It just means that the deal begins on day one. And that's how it works. And anybody sensible will tell you that. You know, whichever way this works out, Daniel, we will be doing it for a while. Yeah, but I, I really hope that's what Boris is banking on. I think he's trying to get us past October the 31st so that actually, take, like on your show the other day, they said there would just be normal free trade deal. We'd revert to immediately. And I, I think that's what he's trying to do. Mm. He's trying to get us over the line. I don't think he has been negotiating just so we can have it. And he realises that unless he does that, we will never get that free trade deal. Well, if you look at the way Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson's body language is, right, it looks to me as if they know precisely what they're doing. They're leading everybody down this path of no deal, whereby it looks like everybody's desperately trying to stop no deal. And then maybe uh, they sneak a little deal in at the end, or not. But the point is, is that, you know, everybody's time, from Jeremy Corbyn to Joe Swinson to Caroline Lucas, everybody's time is being taken up by a desperately attempting to stop something from happening, which might not be happening. That's what I mean? very true. I, I did look at the, the Conservative conference, and I, I looked at Dominic Grieve and Gork that are there. I, can someone ask them why they're there? Because uh, what, they what consider they? themselves to still be Conservatives, right? Yeah, but, no, but they're not. I'm a Conservative member, and they're no longer Conservatives. Right. I mean, you know, the, the days of the weak, pathetic... Um, small C the wets, we used to call them, didn't we? 
Yeah, and those, the days of, of those, I mean, my ideal scenario is that Boris teams up with Nigel and they absolutely romp this election with a huge mandate and a huge majority and we see a massive change in UK politics moving forward. Yeah, I think you may well be right, Daniel. Thank you very much indeed for your call. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number, of course, to call us on. Uh, we've pretty much come to the end of yet another barnstorming show. Thanks to all of you who rang in. Sorry to, so, to those of you who couldn't get on, uh, but we will be back tomorrow, of course. More Conservative Party conference coming up this afternoon. Matthew Wright is here from one o'clock with Kevin O'Sullivan. Sajid Javid is going to be talking about many things, including, of course, adding a couple of stories to your home. Maybe they could add a couple of stories to number 10 Downing Street and stick a couple of the uh, Remainer MPs up there uh, so that they could keep them out of the way. Who can say? Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning from 10 o'clock. Don't forget, uh, you can get yourself uh, the podcast if you didn't actually hear the whole show. Uh, that's the best of which comes out every single day. And if you can't get that, you can always go to the website, talkradio.co.uk, uh, and listen in for the um, uh, Listen Again feature, and you can listen to all of the things that happened on this show uh, all over again. Uh, lots and lots uh, of you tweeted in as well, which I didn't get to all of them. Don't forget, Julie Hartley Brewer back at 6 o'clock, 6.30 tomorrow morning, live from Tory Party Conference up in Manchester. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.